0: Well, it's time for us to meditate on the Word of God, so I want to invite you to go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 9. This is the the last full chapter that we're going to examine together before we launch into this very long list of of kind of individual Proverbs. uh, And we'll handle those uh, through categories as we go on. But so far in Proverbs, we have learned a few things. We have learned, of course, that the root of wisdom is the reverential fear of God. We've heard this over and over again. And we've also learned that only a fool would turn away from true wisdom. So wisdom calls us and demands a response from us. Either a yes or a no. There's no maybe or in between. It demands a response. She demands a response as she is personified as the woman wisdom. And she's going to protect us. And give us abiding peace if we do say yes to her. This is the picture that Solomon has been painting in Proverbs. And so wisdom also calls us to be people of goodwill. She calls us to uh, fidelity to God. Chapters 5 and 7 are a heartbreaking and vivid warning against adultery and idolatry. And the consequences of those things. Most recently, we meditated together on Proverbs 8 a little over a month ago. We learned that, that wisdom is essential to life because wisdom is the founding principle of all of creation. It's, it's sort of the structure on which God created everything. Proverbs uh, chapter 8, verses 22 and 23 say, "...the Lord possessed me," that is, wisdom. "...the Lord possessed wisdom at the beginning of his work." and the the first of his acts of old ages ago i was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth and so what all of this means is that that we we should be building our own lives on the same structure that the rest of creation is built upon and so not to do so is absolute and utter foolishness it's just absolute insanity Not to build your life upon wisdom. This would be like trying to drive a car that had no wheels. And so the essence of wisdom is living for God in every single detail of our lives. This is when all four tires are on the car and we're headed in the right direction. We're headed on a straight road. So that the fruit of our lives becomes good works for God. And also a growing relationship with him through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we left chapter 8, we left with a question. The question was this, what is your answer to wisdom's call? It's either a yes or a no. In other words, are you wise or foolish? Doesn't it only make sense that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom ought to be your foundation? Well, in order to answer that question, though, Solomon has us address another very heavy question in chapter 9. He's about to launch into 22 chapters of of lists of proverbs about almost every aspect of life, about family and wealth and poverty, about our physical needs, our laziness, or or our productivity. Violence, our reputations, our worldview, our ability to grow and receive instruction. We're going to hear more about that today. We're going to hear uh, in in these 22 chapters, we're going to hear about hatred and prudent speech and the consequences of obedience and disobedience. We're going to hear more about that today too. And we're going to hear about honesty and dishonesty and so on. The list goes on. And the way that I've counted the different categories in Proverbs, I've counted at least 54 different categories of Proverbs in the remaining 22 chapters. And so in chapter 9, Solomon is, he's pushing us. He's confronting us with a question. Uh, He's forcing us to realize that the way of life that we choose, wisdom or foolishness, is our responsibility. We are responsible for the way that we live and the choices we make and the consequences of those decisions. And so the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. But let's understand this. It is just the beginning. It's the foundation on which we build our lives. We can stop building our lives. You and I are confronted with a myriad of tough decisions every single day. And each one of these is a moment to choose wisdom or foolishness. But how do we know what's wise in God's eyes? Well, we can only know that if we follow after God all of the time. We can only know that if we understand that the fear of the Lord is also the maintenance of wisdom. So what it all boils down to is this question in chapter 9. How committed are you to God? How committed are you to God in your daily life? Your answer depends on whether you do what God says. This is what Solomon is, is showing us here. And even Jesus understood this. He said that the greatest commandment is to love God with everything that you've got. And that means that our whole lives belong to God, doesn't it? And so to walk in wisdom means to be totally committed to God. And so let me ask you another question. Are there two of you? Are there two yous? The one that we see here on Sunday morning, and then there's someone else at home. Is the person we're seeing here today consistent with who you are at home and at work? How committed are you to God? Solomon make, makes no bones about it. What you do is the answer to that question. What you do is the answer to that question. And so chapter 9 continues with the stark contrast that we've seen a, a lot in these, in these opening chapters of Proverbs. Uh, this contrast between the consequences of choosing wisdom and choosing foolishness. And so in verses 1 through 6, you can choose the way of wisdom and live. Or in the last six verses, 13 through 18, you can choose the way of foolishness and die. It's a very clear-cut picture. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to do this a little differently. Instead of going straight through the whole chapter, what we're going to do is compare the first six verses with the last six verses. Because they're bookends to the middle six verses of chapter 9, and these are the key verses in 7 through 12. This is where the key point is. This declares that we are responsible for our decisions. And so since Elder Peter read the whole chapter a few minutes ago, I'm just going to read again these key six verses in the middle of chapter 9. So beginning in verse 7, this is the word of the Lord. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. That's the word of the Lord. So let's, let's take a look at, at, at how the first six verses and the last six verses of chapter 9 uh, play off of each other and heighten the contrast between the personified women, wisdom and folly. We've seen both of them uh, so much already in the first eight chapters and we get one more look at them. Both women offer a meal and they invite people to partake of it. But in reality, they're like fire and ice. They're hot and cold. They're like wet and dry. There's no comparison between the two of them. And we have to say yes to one of them because they're the only choices we've got. Whether we're talking about the big picture of salvation or the myriad of choices that we're confronted with every single day of our lives as declared followers of Jesus Christ. And so... I want to direct you to the chart that is in your bulletin and it's also up on the screen. Uh, It's very helpful for us to see side by side these two women so that we can compare them uh, just side by side and see this contrast. And so in verse 1, we see a picture of stability and strength and, and permanence. We see a woman wisdom has built her house. And the seven uh, pillars conjure up the temple in the Jewish mind. Uh, This is the presence of God. This is the place where God is. Uh, And they see God's fulfillment of his promises. Uh, They're reminded that God requires us all to live in righteousness. And reminds us uh, of our worship of God in ritual and obedience to his commands. And so also in this house uh, where God is present in verse 2, the woman wisdom prepares a meal essentially of righteousness uh, that will direct us toward righteousness and nourish us uh, in that uh, desire to be righteous, to be wise people. She's prepared this fantastic feast of meat and wine. This is substantial food. This is good and nourishing food. This is a meal that adds to the health and vitality of anybody who comes and sits down at the table. And I really, this is kind of like Norman Rockwell's uh, Thanksgiving painting, right? You've, probably most of us have seen this. Everything's fine and dandy. Everything's just perfect. The turkey is perfectly cooked and, and the grandparents are the rock of the family and, and all this sort of thing. Uh, everything is, is just wonderful and you can tell they've just been to church almost because they're, they're so finely dressed. But You know, this is kind of a caricature of the way that we wish things were. But what Solomon is painting is a picture of, of the, how things are when we receive God's wisdom. This is a true picture. And this feast is dripping with goodness and satisfaction and, and a right relationship with God. Everything really is as it should be if you follow after wisdom. But meanwhile, in verse 13... We've got the woman, Folly, and she is so different. There's no comparison. She's loud and ignorant, and she's very seductive. In fact, her most dangerous trait is her seduction. She's full of allure. She's motioning over to, to you to come over to her with her fingers. She's got a sultry, seductive smile on her face. She wants to, tempt, to turn your back on what you know to be right and true. And so in verses 14 and 15, this seducer sits at the door of her house and she plants herself at various uh, good locations around town where she can call to those who happen to pass by, even to those who are on the straight and narrow, who are going right because she wants to lure them away from the right path with that sultry smile. She's calling them to abandon the straight way of righteousness and go into the curvy, twisted world Of pleasing yourself. Because isn't that what being unwise is all about? We want to be able to express our anger. and Pound our fist about our rights. And and all this sort of thing. And we don't like what God says to us sometimes. This is the world in which the woman folly wants us to go into. And so the picture here is of a predator uh, lurking. Just ready to pounce in your very moment of weakness. Then meanwhile, in verse 3, the woman wisdom employs her young maidens to go out all over town. This is a big group of them. They want to reach everybody. They don't want to just tempt people off the path. What they're doing is very pure. These women don't lurk alone, ready to pounce. These are young women of marriageable age. These are young virgins who are pure and innocent. And there is no seduction with them at all. There is no deviousness in their minds at all. This is a pure and open invitation to come and sit at the table and have this feast. Now, years ago, uh, a man that my dad once worked with came by uh, our house to call. Uh, he was uh, g- asking my dad if he'd invest in his company. Well, my dad, in his wisdom, uh, smelled a fish. He didn't really know what exactly it was, but he declined, even though this seemed like a, a perfectly uh, good and decent friend. But I'll tell you what, we picked up the post about six months later, and found out that this man was in jail. And he was in jail because he was running a very complex Ponzi scheme that jilted uh, countless uh, dozens of investors out of thousands and thousands of dollars. And this is money that they never got back. This man was just like the woman Folly. He promised the moon, but he delivered destruction. But the woman wisdom promises life and she delivers life. She promises a feast that will satisfy, a feast that is good for you, a feast that's going to grow you, a feast that's going to teach you wisdom, a feast that's going to teach you to follow after God in all of your ways and to love him and adore him and obey him. And you know what? She also proves herself to be a mighty good cook, a mighty good cook. This is a good meal. That is good for us. And so then next in verses 4 and 16. Each woman calls with the very same words. Whoever is simple. Let him turn in here. But that's where the comparison ends. The woman wisdom calls the whole town openly and innocently. Without deception. Without seduction. Without promise of money or fame or any of those things. But the woman folly lures individuals away from the path of righteousness. Just like that man tried to do with my dad. And then in verses 17 and 18, Folly promises a feast. But I tell you what, it's not a feast at all. All she's got to offer is stolen water and bread. It's not even a full meal. She's gone down to the the convenience store and stolen some stuff. And so she's going to feed you stolen water and bread that will not satisfy you, that will not sustain you. She's calling you to pleasures that are perverse and she relies on trickery and deceit to do that and on trying to force you to partake of something that isn't yours or hers. So the natural outcome of unrighteous behavior, we all know this, is death and destruction. Unwise attitudes and behavior lead to bad consequences. This is a lot like the contrast between King Saul and King David. Saul ignored God's commands over and over again. He rebelled against God and he ended up dying a shameful death. But David, even though he made mistakes, even though he sinned, he was repentant. He was a man after God's own heart. And he even refused to assassinate Saul when he had the opportunity because he was always taking the high road, even when it meant that his own life was in danger. He wanted what God wanted to happen, not what he wanted to happen. David was more interested in God's glory than his own. He was wise because he trusted in God's wisdom. Is that your attitude? Or do you want to see if you're wiser than God? If you can't control your and you refuse to get help for it, that can only lead to bad things. If you've got a problem with porn and you refuse to get help with it, that can only lead to bad things. If you refuse to humble yourself before God and your spouse, that can only lead to bad things. If you mistreat your employees... Or you cheat on your exams, or or you ref- and you refuse to repent. That can only lead to bad things: death, destruction, shame, and disgrace. But in verses 5 and 6, look at this. If you decide to join the woman wisdom at her feast, your life is going to be so different. And that's because you fear the Lord. You want only him. And that's why the woman wisdom declares that when we leave our simple ways in verse 6, that we will live. The idea here is a rich life of blessing and peace. And so we receive the blessings of wisdom and obedience the closer to God we come. And so very much on Solomon's heart and mind would be verses like these. Leviticus 18.5, God says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. You see, there's a command and a promise there. If you do the things that I command you shall live I am the Lord. And then there's God's mercy in Ezekiel 18:21. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does and does what is just and right he shall surely live. He shall not die. Isn't that a beautiful promise? That's a promise that we uh, now uh, enjoy uh, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But even then, even in the Old Testament times, we've got to understand this. They understood God's grace through experience because God's people were constantly disobeying Him. But God showed mercy on them and He forgave them when they repented of their sins. And so, a wise person who fears the Lord proves it in repentance and in striving to do what God says you know we do all need God's grace don't we we need it desperately because we are not perfect we get it wrong But there'll be a day when we are perfect, when Christ comes again. But in the meantime, Paul warns us that we should never think that it's okay to go on sinning, that it's okay not to be wise in God's eyes, in the hopes that somehow God's grace is going to abound all the more, Paul says. No, God is calling us to wisdom, to obedience, and ultimately to holiness in all of our attitudes and actions. We can only do that with God's help. But that's what we yearn for. And so now as we move on to these middle six verses of Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 through 12, you can see why Solomon is so concerned about our responsibility. Following after God is not a passive thing. The key to fulfilling our responsibility lies in whether we choose to be teachable or not. In verses 7 through 9, Solomon paints a picture of another contrast between a person who scoffs, in other words, who has listened to the woman folly, this person rejects wisdom and is therefore unteachable, and a person who receives wisdom and benefits from the discipline that wisdom provides. Verses 7 and 8 say, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury." Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Well, that's the truth, isn't it? This is a picture of of a person who gets mad when you speak the truth in a constructive way. The God's honest truth. We've all known people like this. I've known people who've never apologized for anything as far as I know. I've known people who refuse to hear constructive criticism. They're always right. They're self-righteous. They always have a comeback. They're always looking for a way around the truth. They're always looking for an excuse. And quite often, we know this by experience, quite often those excuses come with very harsh words or worse. Sometimes speaking the truth to somebody is fighting words to them. But you know what? Sometimes we're the scoffer, aren't we? It's tough to admit. That's an inconvenient truth, isn't it? We don't want to hear the truth when it comes to that. We react angrily. We vilify people. We puff up ourselves to be superior. We close our minds to wisdom. We defend ourselves at all costs against this perceived attack from our husband or our wife or from our parents or from our friends or our teachers. But you know what? We do so in our own peril, don't we? Years ago, when I was a photojournalist, I, I always entered, every single year, the Virginia News Photographers Association photo competition. And it was, it was some really stiff competition. There are some really great photographers in Virginia, I've got to tell you that. And the judges were well-known photojournalists, people that, that everyone in the room could look up to. And so we, we got to watch the judging and hearing them the, uh, discuss and criticize the pictures was a, was a tough education, but it was also wonderful and, and, and kind of mind-blowing. And so most of us left, of course, without awards, like me, but, but we ended up being better photographers because we had seen and heard what they said and we embraced it. But there were some... There were some who could not accept the criticism. They couldn't handle it. It was too much for them. And so they would grumble about this, that, and the other, about the judges not being fair, or the category isn't right, or whatever the case may be. And so these grumblers returned every single year with photos that were no better than last year's. They never won any awards, and they never received any of the recognition that they wanted because they refused to listen to wisdom. And ultimately, that affected their career. Because they didn't improve. And you know what? The same is true in life, isn't it? If we're unwilling to listen to wise and godly counsel, it speaks to our own arrogance. Not only toward other people, but to God himself. Now, I think one of our favorite verses uh, when we speak of talk about fellowship and, and uh, this aspect of, of our Christian lives is Proverbs twenty seven seventeen. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And man, we love that verse, don't we? That is until we start to have that painful realization that we're the ones who need to be sharpened. This isn't easy business. And so our temptation might be in that case to avoid Christ-centered relationships that will sharpen us because we don't like the pain. We want to be right. But you know what? That that makes for a really dull knife. And what ends up happening is, is that we become unable to grow because we can't wisely cut out the weeds in our lives, which gradually get out of control and smother the fruit that God wants us to produce. James says in James 5, 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray to one another that you may be healed. Now, doesn't that speak of deep relationships? Would you just go and confess your sins to just anybody on the street? No, you'd only do that with your fellow brothers and sisters who are there to help you pull away from temptation's seductive draw. We need real relationships with other true believers, relationships that are built on trust and appropriate openness. And we need that so that we can sharpen each other. And that's exactly what the rest of verse 8 and verse 9 are about. This trait of being teachable by other wise people in our lives. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. You see, growing and learning is not just a matter of simple willingness. There's a big difference between willingness and desire. We can be willing to do something that we don't desire. I'm willing to do the dishes, but I really don't desire to do it. I just do it because it's necessary. We can also say that we're willing to grow in our walk with the Lord, but be very, very passive about it, just kind of waiting for the blessings to fall into our lap. But when we truly desire God's wisdom and truth, we seek it out until we find it. You see, what Solomon is talking about here is a a yearning to grow that surpasses wishful thinking. This is a yearning to grow that outweighs the discomfort of constructive criticism and drives us to actually grow and change according to God's wisdom. This is a longing for what is right and true. This isn't simple passive willingness. This means that you're active in seeking out the wisdom of God. And so the result is that we look for godly counsel. And we grow in the Lord to full maturity in Christ. As Paul says in Ephesians. So that our conduct and our attitudes and our decisions about how to handle even the most mundane details in life. Are done in such a way as to bring glory to God. Because that's the whole point, isn't it? And so that's why in verse 10, Solomon repeats the fra- refrain of Proverbs. He says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord starts us and keeps us heading in the right direction to learn from our experiences and mistakes, our experience with God and, and our sinful nature. And, and then we learn good sense. The fear of the Lord is, is kind of like Google Maps or Waze, whatever app you use to get where you're going. This sets us on the, on the right course, the proper course, and, 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 and navigates us around hazards and obstacles so that we can get where we're going safely and in a timely way. And knowledge of the Holy One, knowledge in, in the Hebrew means to know God through experience. This isn't just knowing about God, but knowing God through a real relationship with him. You know, I I can very legitimately say that I've been in Brussels, Belgium. Because as we were on our way to Romania on one of our missions trips, our plane landed there. But we never got out of the airport. So brothers and sisters, if there's dust on your Bible. If there's dust on your Bible, if you seldom open it and spend time with the God who has saved you, it's really fair to say that your knowledge of God is lacking. Your relationship with God is hindered because of your passive and passionless approach to him. You really aren't seeking godly insight or wisdom. You're just waiting for it to fall down in your lap. You have little passion or desire for his life-changing truth. And you, you are much more susceptible <clears throat> to being seduced by the woman folly. But if you really know God, if you really know him through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and through a consistent, passionate hunger to partake of the feast of his word, you're going to have the wisdom you need for life. You're going you're to experience God, and you're going to experience the blessings of obeying, obeying Him, because you are truly committed to God. And the great blessing of that is in verse 11, "For by me, by wisdom, your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life." You see, this is why it's so important for us to, to learn to be teachable. We need to receive the input of other godly people and also, of course, God's wisdom in his word, his unadulterated truth. And you are the one who's responsible to learn to be teachable, not anyone else. And you need to learn it with God's help and his grace. Because it says in verse 12, if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. So, in other words, you make your bed, and you got to sleep in it. So, is your bed made out of sticks, and is rickety, and it's covered with stained and sully blankets? Or, is your bed resting among the seven pillars of wisdom's house, and crafted out of Calvary's tree, and adorned with the glory of God? You see what wisdom is calling us to is holiness brothers and sisters. Wisdom asserts that whenever we choose full foolishness we are not serving God. And so if there are two of you if there are two yous the one we see here today and the secret you you really need to hear this good counsel from Solomon the wisest man who ever lived. Responsibility means total commitment to God that and that commitment begins and ends uh, not with a passive willingness to change but a genuine reverent fear of the Lord a passionate longing and desire for God and his glory for his wisdom that translates into the very essence of who you become And so how committed to God are you? What is your response to the call of wisdom? You can choose the way of wisdom and live, or you can choose the way of foolishness and experience destruction and death. You are responsible for your decision. It is your choice. It's up to you. The way of foolishness will feed you with stolen water and bread eaten in secret, This is a lie that will tempt you away from the straight path, and it tempts us all to believe that we can be wiser than God, that it really doesn't matter what we do or who we are as long as we've got some kind of at least vague belief in God and Jesus. But the woman wisdom offers you life. (laughs) The woman wisdom offers you a never-ending feast of life-giving nourishment. This is is so much better than than even the all-you-can-eat buffet at Country Cooking. And man, I'm telling you, I love that buffet. (laughs) This is so much better than that. This is a meal that is prepared by the finest chef in the world. This is a perfect balance of all the right foods. This is the best meal that you could ever have. And the main ingredient is your fear of the Lord and your relationship with Him. Your heartfelt desire for God to rule your life. A hunger that causes you to partake of his feast. And be the, the, the new creature that God has created you to be. This is a, a, a hunger that causes you to desire to be a godly, wise person. And so the rest of the book of Proverbs is the feast that Solomon is talking about. All of this, these lists of sayings is the feast. Every bite of it is good for us. And it's only through our relationship with God that we can digest these remarkable truths about life. Because ultimately, wisdom is about receiving God's truth and then doing as God commands. You know, not long before our Lord's betrayal, he told his disciples, including Judas, the betrayer, he said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you're going to do as I say, because you love those commandments. Judas had heard the wisdom of God straight from God's mouth. He was face to face with the very word of God. And yet, what was his choice? He chose to listen to the woman folly and to be seduced by silver coins, rather than to feast on the bread of life. Judas proved his hatred of Christ by rejecting his commandments, by rejecting him, by betraying the Lord. This is the horrible act of a supreme scoffer who thought he was wiser than God. And what was his end? He killed himself in shame. And as The last verse of Proverbs 9 says he went to the depths of Sheol, the place of the dead. And so, brothers and sisters, as we depend on the saving power of what the worldly wise call the foolishness of the cross, may our response to wisdom be a resounding yes. And may we prove our love for our Lord Jesus Christ by doing as he says with a passionate commitment to live for God completely in every detail of our lives and all for the glory of him who is all-wise and everlasting and full of grace and truth. Amen. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you and praise you that you have called out to us, to every one of us, with your wisdom. And that we can receive it as we sit down at your table and feast upon the bread of life, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray that that you would bring conviction to us where conviction is due. Uh, We pray, Father, that as we go about our lives this week, that you would minister to us. That you would cause us to see the areas that we need to turn over to you in our lives. Because, Lord, all we want is to live for you.